Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. And I'm here as always with my friend and co-host, Ross Ferguson, academic advisor extraordinaire. Do you know, before we even go anywhere, do you know yeah. there's donuts outside? I think they're for the residency people. Sorry, I was very... Uh, the doctoral residency Literally, people. I looked up and there was donuts outside, and he's like, academic advice. I was like, hang on, there's donuts outside. <laughs> <laughs> hey, do you know it was my birthday yesterday? I did not know this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I turned... Uh, how, how old do you think I, I turned? Well, see, I actually know roughly how old you are. No, so not literally yesterday, but oh. on the day oh, this episode I, I airs, episode. <laughs> I'm trying to play like I'm in the future. So this episode is scheduled for November 2nd, Okay. and my birthday is November, November 1st. Okay. So, I, yes, quote unquote, yesterday was my birthday. How, let, how old do you think I am? Let the cat out of the bag there. Um, 49. I'm so disappointed. To be honest, I was... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 49. Yeah. I was being generous. And you're not far off, but I'd rather you be far off in the other direction. I was still being generous, so. That's generous. <laughs> How bad do you think I look, man? It's been a hard week. It's Yeah. No, <laughs> it's actually been a pretty good week because this is my birthday and there's donuts. Um, Just as long so, as. 47. That's how okay. old I Well, I was not far off. I don't know, but you sh- you went you went up. I, you should be off the other Every, direction. Everyone thinks I'm older than I am when they look at me. You, you have a full head of hair. I don't. So, you know, you That's got something. Last night, you know, it was hilarious. Uh, we were spending some time with the residents last night, and they were talking about how they're losing their hair. These guys are all in their early 30s, and they're like, I'm, I'm balding. And I feel pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Every time, you know, I, I have to have a haircut, like every two weeks, and they're always saying, <laughs> this is what they say always. I have so much hair, they say. And now, the, the trade-off, as you get old, I mean, I do have a lot of hair on my head, and it does grow pretty, you know, thick. But the older you get, too, you start getting hair in ears and noses and things that you're like, what is that? Something's in my nose. I keep rubbing my nose. Something's in my nose. Oh, it's just nose hair. Yeah. That's somehow freakishly long and tendrilous coming. <laughs> this is just all delicious this is, conversation. This is just hey, like, we got some reviews. Speaking of delicious, we've got some new reviews to kind of read through here. Uh, we'll start with this one. Five stars from B. Allen, who uh, you think you you know who this is. I think I know who it is. Okay. I, I mean, I know. If it is the person you think it is, I know them too, but I didn't know that it would be this person. But anyway, B. Allen, edifying, five stars. The podcast has undergone a lot of turmoil and transitions in the last few months. Has it? I, okay. But through it all, Jared has retained his sense of humor. It sounds like I've like survived something. <laughs> <laughs> he was in a cave and he was rescued. He's still and, here. But he maintained his sense of humor, <laughs> believe it or not. And his love for pastors and pastoring. Also, Ross is a good addition to the podcast, and not just because of his accent. Oh, that's very kind. Coming from an international context. No, he didn't say an ethnic. Ethnic context. (laughs) (laughs) Coming from an international context, he gives tremendous insight into the American church. I recommend giving it a listen if you're a pastor or leader in your church. If you do, I think you'll find it edifying for your ministry and heart. Thank you, B. Allen. I think that's a great uh, review. Here's another five-star review titled, aptly titled, from M. Turnage. Now, we both know who this is. As a layperson who has never taken a single course at a seminary, this podcast is truly for the church. Great insight, no matter how you serve your local church. Ross has been a fantastic addition, and Jared continues to do a phenomenal job of lining up superb guests with great topics and helpful, thought-provoking questions. Thank you so much, Mark Turnage. Uh, Tyler Kraft 
Five stars, title of the review, Jared's Accent. Stellar content, he says, but mostly I'm here for Jared Wilson's accent. <laughs> I guess Ross's accent is fine, but nothing beats that perfect for radio, Houston accent. All kidding aside, Tyler says, truly great podcast. Keep it up. I feel like Tyler sounds a little bit bitter here. Why, um, why do you think he's bitter? I guess Ross is Because he's complimenting me. For once, somebody's complimenting my well, voice, my buttery, smooth, <laughs> radio-friendly voice. I mean, if you need the compliments to keep going, I guess I guess you can have them. You know what? I'm I'm a success story, Ross, <laughs> because I was a stutterer from kindergarten all the way into college. Actually, this isn't made up. So you need to. Do I was a stutterer, that, and I now I literally make a living getting up in front of people and talking, which is something that I never thought I would do. And I feel bad now because I burst out. You laughing. should feel real, real bad about it. Thank you, Tyler. I appreciate the compliment, even if Ross does not. I don't. This <laughs> comes from. Gosh, the name is a bunch of ones. ones, the number one. So one, 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 one in perpetuity gives a five. It's a five-star review. I'm not in the camp is <laughs> what the title says, which sounds negative, but it's a five stars. This is what he says, or she. I'm I'm a non-denom pastor. Okay, we hope it's a he. I'm a non-denom <laughs> pastor, although we don't know, at a large multi-site church. Okay, well, no, no one's perfect. By nature of that role, I usually disagree with a lot of the practical stuff oh, that gets voiced, but I do appreciate the opposite views that are kind and biblically grounded, founded, and consistently challenge how I do ministry. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a turn, you know, you know he took a turn there. It, it was basically, uh, you know, it's, you guys really aren't. Uh, the cut, you know, I don't really like the cut of your jib, but you know what? I appreciate it. He says, I, I appreciate the clearly pastoral heart evident in each podcast. Good work, lads, which makes me think this is not an American. <clears throat> I mean, it could, it could be. Lads. Yeah, lads is kind of English. What I will say, though, what there made me laugh is. There are a lot of large this, multi-site churches. And, uh, well, I know of one. There's some um, out there, yeah. I, I love this. I do appreciate the opposite views that are kind, biblically founded. Do we have views that are not kind and biblically founded? <laughs> I, I was unaware that no, we were giving. No, I think what they're saying is even though we have <laughs> views that he doesn't agree with, we're still kind. He likes that we're kind about them and we're not. Um, that's how I'm going to read it. I feel like some of our episodes have been more grumpy than kind. Um, yeah. But I'm willing to accept maybe that. Maybe so. I think but, that's okay. But you're the guy. So last night as we were hanging out and we're talking about, like a few of you have been in my classes here at Midwestern. <laughs> and you were going on about how I was mean to people in the classroom and that I, I like berated everybody about not writing good book reviews and and I had no memory of this whatsoever. I, I I think that I'm actually, I honestly I struggle walking away going. I should have been more direct. I should have been more you're, firm. You're, and you're you guys think enough. I'm mean? You, you, I, not mean. Okay. Uh, passive aggressive. Passive aggressive. <laughs> well, that's the opposite of what you were saying last night. Y'all were saying I was aggressive aggressive. Well, there was just a look on your face every time you were disappointed in someone's work, and it's like a dagger to the heart. Um, <laughs> Good grief. Like, Jared Wilson. All right. Well, let's get let's get back to some compliments here. Uh, so, thank you. One 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 one. Uh, we appreciate that review, uh, especially from someone out outside the camp, so to speak. That's a that's high uh, high praise. This comes from Dave. Also, a series of numbers after Dave's name. Uh, one of my weekly favorites. Five stars. He says, as a non residential doctoral student at MBTS. 
This weekly podcast helps me stay connected to the campus while I'm away. I appreciate the wit and discussion, and I recommend this podcast to others often. Man, that's some good reviews. Yeah. And I've got one coming out of Left Field, special review off of Facebook. Oh, no. <laughs> I know what this is. <laughs> this, uh, this review, uh, great podcasts. And I also love Ross's voice, possibly because I'm his mom. Yes. And your, and your wisdom, of course, Jared, she says. We listen over here in Edinburgh, Scotland. Did it's I pronounce it right? It's Edinburgh. Edinburgh. Edinburgh, Scotland. And really enjoy your interactions. Five stars from me. Thank you, Pat Ferguson. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? A good review from mom is a, is good. Yeah, thanks you know? for that. Appreciate it. Of course, yeah. She left that on, uh, on on my Facebook page. Okay, it's a mailbag episode. I'm really glad that we're just moving on. <laughs> <laughs> it's a mailbag episode. We've got uh, some great questions here submitted through a variety of venues. Uh, first question is this. Uh, I am a young bivocational pastor in New England. Uh, maybe this guy um, is going to quit his job after our last episode on bivocational <laughs> ministry. Uh, I'm a young bivocational pastor in New England. Yep, love New England. Like any church, my church has its problems. At times, this is daunting. What would you say to the young pastor who doesn't feel mature enough or experienced enough to deal with the stuff that is coming at him? Um, here's how I want to – this is how I'm reading the question. I'm, I, I want to set aside the bivocational thing and just let's you and I talk to the young pastor, the yep. new pastor who doesn't feel mature enough or experienced enough to deal with the weight of ministry. What's kind of your you know, two-minute pep talk? Uh, straight away, I was you. I started ministry <laughs> right. at 23, felt immature, made so many mistakes. I did so many things wrong. Um, so the couple of things just from my own experience that that I want to say is I want to reassure you there is no single pastor that feels mature enough and wise enough to deal with every issue. Um, you are not alone. Um, and don't look at older guys like they've they've got it all. They, they don't. They're still guessing things. They're still trying to work things through. Um, so you're you're not alone in that. Um, second thing is don't listen to every single voice. As a pastor, we kind of get sucked in that every every voice gets a view. That may be true, but not every view should be heeded. Um, and I, and I do think it's important that when you're, especially when you're younger, don't view anyone that's older than you as the person you have to listen to. Um, think about wise counsel. Who do you respect? Who who feeds into your life? Who encourages you? Go to them. Don't go to every single voice. And then finally, I would just say scripture is very much your friend. The answers are there. Mm. Um, the answers are not anywhere else. They're in scripture. And I, I always love Paul's encouragement to Timothy, you know, watch over your doctrine. So not only will you be saved, but others also. Um, so young pastor friend struggling, go to scripture, steep, steep your time there and your maturity will increase and God will show you wonderfully how to answer things. Yeah. Um, Great advice. It's a danger zone, I think, for the pastor who's looking at his ministry and thinking, I got this. Yeah. <laughs> for anyone, you know, I mean, you mentioned even older pastors, seasoned pastors are struggling with this and not, you know, feeling like it's too much. And 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 I think the good ones are, but, the, you know, it's the guy, young or old, who's thinking, man, I know exactly, like, I can get my arms around this. I can handle this. I've, I'm, you know, I can knock it out. I've got what it takes. That's when you need to start actually worrying, yeah. because you're you're you know trying to do ministry in your own power. So in in a way, it's not great, of course, to feel. It's not a great feeling, I guess I should say, 
to feel completely overwhelmed and to feel like, uh, you know, I don't know what I'm doing and there's just, you know, so much, I don't know where to start and all these sorts of things. But that's actually the sweet spot for resting in the power of the Holy Spirit. I agree. That that sense of of being overwhelmed is is what ministry feels like and should feel like. Um, you know, we hope that at times it feels less overwhelming than it does at others, and 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 there will be seasons of sweetness to come. I think you can trust that that is going to come. There will be green pastures as you're walking through this ministry journey, but don't panic mm-hmm. about feeling overwhelmed. That's just you seeing the scope of how much you need to trust in the Lord. Yeah. The other thing I would say is, so you mentioned Paul to Timothy. Like I think of you know, let no one look down on you for your youth. Yeah. And I take that a couple of ways as good counsel for a young and new pastor. N- number one, it's a call not to be immature and hope that others are just to you, but a call to grow up, to yeah. work towards maturity, to you know uh, continue being a learner, to keep your mind open to the things of of the Lord and to um, God's word and to people who are further along than you who can speak into your life and give you encouragement and and counsel and advice and those sorts of things. But I think the other side of it, let no one look down on you for your youth or despise your youth, um, speaks to actually being a pastor, like being a leader. You may feel like, gosh, everyone's older than me. They're expecting so much from me, or they look down on me because I'm young. They think I don't have anything to offer. Brother, if they have called you as their pastor, given you the the office of pastor, really the Lord has given you that. Step into it. I mean, stand up straight. You're right. I mean, stick your chest out a little bit, not in a domineering, b- bullying, prideful, puffed up way, but just put the hat on and go to work. Yeah. You know, when you step into a room as a pastor, be the pastor, yeah. act like a leader, and people will begin to acclimate to that. Because one of the worst things that can happen is if you just get into this mode of, oh, gosh, kind of, I don't know yeah. what I'm doing, and, and, and you work this immaturity thing and you begin to press that into every corner of the room, people will acclimate to that. Yeah. They'll start taking advantage. They'll walk all over you. They won't look to you for guidance. They'll step over you to look to somebody else that they trust. People want to follow a leader. So regardless of your youth, you may be the youngest person in the room, the youngest person in your church. You may be uh, more inexperienced than the last guy, whatever it was. If this is your new pastorate, first pastorate, just be the guy. Yeah. Act like you're the guy. And um, I think you can have all the authority and the confidence and the humility, but all the confidence that the Lord, yeah. you know, uh, uh, will give you because of that. Yeah. Quick word on that. Uh, you're going to get things wrong, but one of the most mature things you can do is own up to them, repent, yeah. seek forgiveness, and then by God's grace, do it again. Keep going. So the most mature thing you can do is keep serving. Over time, you'll yeah. feel less immature. You'll feel less struggles um, just internally. That's great. Uh, next question comes via Twitter. That first question came via email, actually. How can we influence a healthy culture around expectations for ministry involvement, both for members, pastors, family, staff, and pastors, again, for themselves, understanding and grace where they can't be involved in every ministry, every service, et cetera? So let me see if I can try to interpret this question a little bit, because he says both for, and then he lists like five different categories. And so I think what he's trying to say is, how do we make sure our church isn't over-programmed, yep. I think is kind of the question. A healthy culture around expectations for ministry involvement. There's two ways we could take this. One is a pastor and his family. How involved do they need to be in all the extraneous programs? That's, that's the way I took programs. it. But he's also talking about members and staff 
and how involved do they all need to be in church things? And it almost sounds like it's a bigger question of how how much you know do you need to be the, at the church every time the doors are open, mm. so on and so forth. But let's take that first one and, uh, for pastors yeah, for and their the, families. How involved <clears throat> do they need to be for for the first one? When you ask a question like this, you're basically thinking, "What can I not do?" Because if you're asking this <laughs> yeah, question, right. you're saying, I'm overworked, I'm overpressurized. What can I not do? And how, how do I explain that? Yeah. Before you even get to that, this is what I would say. When you are meant to show up, actually show up. You know, put the work in, be first in, last out. Help people trust that you are a hard worker, that yeah. you're willing to roll up your sleeves. You'll go beyond the job description. You know, you're not just there to preach. You're going to move the chairs. You're going to help people. You're going to hand out books. You're going to shake hands. You're going to help the the lady to her seat that, you know, is maybe a, a mobility issues. You know, you're going to do that and you're, you're going to not complain and you're going to do it all with a smile. Essentially, show up when you do show up. Because that means that when you don't show up, people are not thinking that it's because of a laziness oh, or they're not thinking because you just, you know, you need a day off. They're going to say, do you know what? Every time he's here, the guy puts in so much effort. It's great that he's taking some time for his family. Um, and my dad used to always say, be first in and last out. So when you are there, be first in and be last out. So that when you're not there, people don't begrudge you not being there. They're actually grateful that you're going to take some time off. My take on or my read on this question is there is many times a cultural expectation in a church that the pastor and or his family are at every function at every activity at every ministry and sometimes this is this is this expectation is set by previous pastors or mm -hmm. previous ministers it's very similar to um having an expectation for the pastor's wife yeah like you're essentially getting a two for one. We're going to pay the pastor, but we're also going to get yep. a women's ministry director and a children's ministry director. And well, the last pastor's wife led yeah. the women's ministry, or she ran the nursery. Or heard that a few times. And yeah, and it's almost like we're expecting you know your wife to have a role, your wife to have a job. I remember at my last you know round of interviews, my last pastorate, when I began kind of sorting through what they were expecting, and it was almost like four different jobs. Mm. Like it was very clear that one or two people on the search committee. We're ba they were looking for a youth pastor. How involved are you going to be with the youth? Are you going to be at all the ball games? Are you going to be, you know, do, leading the youth uh, Bible study? Are you going to? And then there was the lead pastor position, which is what they, you know, the main thing that was. I mean, that was the ad I was responding to, and that's the conversation I thought we were having. And then there was all just the community expectations that mm -hmm. in this small town for this church, you're a community leader, whether you like it or not. Yeah. And so you're representing the church to the town in some way. You almost serve as a chaplain to the town. So funerals and different things like that, you know, parades and the whole, you know, the whole deal. And I'm thinking, gosh, this is like a lot yeah. of, of stuff. And I had to just be very clear. I thought, man, I'm not going to move all the way across the country to land in a place where the expectations are beyond what I think I can provide. I need to be clear now before yeah. any of us make the decision. And so I started saying, look, I've been in student ministry for a while long enough to know I, I don't think I'm called to that. I don't think I have a wiring for that. I love going to ball games. So, you know, we'd love to have, you know, teens over, f you know, for fellowship here and there. We'd love to go to football games and basketball games and those sorts of things. But in terms of like running a student ministry, yeah. I don't really see that as a high priority for what I'm going to do. You have to be really clear yeah. with your church on your expectations. I was looking up as, as you were talking, <laughs> this is somewhat famous Tom Rainer blog post where he basically, they did a poll and they asked people what the minimum expectations of pastors should be. 
Like, what should they be doing during the week? That's and, a dangerous question. Right. To ask. And so he added it all up. This is what a church expects from its pastor that they would be prayer at the church for 14 hours a week, sermon preparation 18 hours a week, outreach and evangelism 10 hours a week, counseling 10 hours a week, hospital oh and word. home visits 15 hours a week, administrative functions 18 hours a week, community involvement 5 hours a week, denominational involvement 5 hours a week, church meetings 5 hours a week, worship services and preaching 4 hours a week, and other responsibilities as assigned 10 hours a week. The expectation, just by this informal survey, what do you think a pastor should do he added all up. The total expectation was 114 hours a week, which would be 16-hour days if you didn't take a day off. If you took a day off, it's 19-hour days, six days in a row. The reason churches sometimes fall into this is they don't have a unified expectation. There's sections of the church that expect different things. So, you know, the women's ministry may expect the pastor is going to be at their luncheon type thing and represent, you know, you know to that constituents. There's different constituencies mm-hmm that want the pastor or the pastor's wife to be at that thing. And I think if they all got together and said, gosh, actually, collectively, our demand of time is kind of unreasonable. Yep. Uh, to be honest, <laughs> simply put, you will burn your pastor out and you'll lose him if yeah. you have that expectation. Can I just say, when it comes to the moment where you're worried about letting the church down or letting your family down, you know, you're going to have to choose. And every pastor's yeah. faced that, you know, what, what should I do? Worry more about letting your family down than yeah. the church down. You can always get a new church. <laughs> yeah. You so the question. Yeah, family. I want to redirect to the question because he's asking. Okay, how do we influence a healthy? <laughs> how do we influence a healthy culture? I can I think kind of what we're saying is clear boundaries, yep. communicated clear boundaries, good priorities. I also just think being willing, as you just said, in a way, being willing to disappoint yep. the right people. When you say no, say no. That's right. Know. And, you know, if, if you set the – so here's the problem. Like, if you j- jump into these expectations and you begin to cater to them or just acclimate to them, it's going to be harder down the line to go, you know what? I'm doing way too much. And yeah. the, suddenly that's very jarring. You, you have to as early as, you're, as, you know, as possible. The best time to communicate this and establish this rhythm, you know, a healthier rhythm – of ministry and ministry involvement is when you, you know, begin. The next best time is today. Yeah. <laughs> so we hope that you had, had already done it. But if you haven't, you, you're going to just ha- you have to fight through people's uh, surprise, mm. uh, their disappointment, and, and set a you know, healthy culture that, uh, that an over-programmed church doesn't necessarily mean a healthy church. Sometimes yeah. we mistake busyness for health yeah. because we're doing a whole lot. I mean, one, one thing that stood out to me on the um, – in that informal Rainer survey was how many hours of in-church time as a, compared yeah. to evangelism and outreach. It was and like community. five hours for community. It was, it was five hours, hours to for be in the community. Five. So hire yeah, more staff. Maybe, <laughs> well, that, you know, or, or, you know, can you think more missionally? Can you share yeah. your pastor a little bit more with people who need Jesus? Yeah. You know, those sorts of things, <laughs> you know, f- with lost people. Anyway, I hope that was helpful. Uh, the next question comes from Facebook. This is a big question. I've jotted down no notes, so uh, we'll just see what I say off the top of my head. How should ministers think about social media use or think through social media use? Should the This is a specific question. Should the Billy Graham rule apply to DMs, to direct mm-hmm. messages, et cetera? Now, I know this question is inspired by news, of, you know, in the recent evangelical headlines. So I've received a question from uh, a mutual friend of ours who he and his fiance are going through some premarital counseling. 
and was told in ministry, because this fellow is an aspiring pastor, was told, um, you should never text a woman without including your wife on the text thread. And um, he asked, like, do I practice that? Have you ever practiced that? And I'd be honest and say, no, I actually have not practiced that. Sometimes it's easier if you're emailing that you want a witness. You can, you know, blind carbon copy or something like that. It's a little easier to do that. But it wasn't ever a desire to, like, hide something from my wife or that mm-hmm. I'm not going to explain to my wife, you know. But it was also hard for me to even think of having long text conversations. I, I just I don't have long text conversations with women. Mm-hmm. Um, it just doesn't really happen. More so Facebook messaging or you know other social media, usually initiated by someone, but but not when I was pastoring. Even it'd yeah. be more so now a reader or somebody or somebody on social media connection will email me a you know question or something. But I don't have long conversations. I don't yeah. have back and forths. I think there's a difference between maybe including your wife on every conversation and being transparent, saying, well, you can look at my DMs anytime yeah. you want. I, I'm not you know, going to hide anything. But in ministry context, sometimes there's a level of, um, we don't promise confidentiality, mm. but I, I wonder about the ethics sometimes. If, if a pastor with a congregant, if it's a counseling issue of some kind, and I think the wise pastor is trying to find mature women in the church who can speak more directly into other women's lives and, and those sorts of things. But, a, you know, but that doesn't mean that you're like, I can't talk to you because you're a woman. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of weird. And there's an ethic about, let me just bring my wife into this conversation of something that, you, in, you know, for the woman, maybe very private or personal or. Yeah. I think when the question, the way it's phrased is, I don't think it's the public social media. I think it's the private, the, yeah. the DMs. But that also, as you say, includes texts, emails, phone calls, you know, all of these things. Basically, what we're seeing is male communication with another female that is not your right. spouse. And, and we've spoken about this a little bit on a previous podcast. Should the Billy Graham rule be applied, uh, essentially not being in another room or not having communication with somebody that's not your spouse? Um, or private communication. My simple answer is no, but I don't think it's as simple as just saying no. Yeah, okay. I, the reason I say no is because, again, this question comes from the, the potential danger of just viewing every contact with a woman. <laughs> right. In the conversations that I might would have, yeah. I'm not thinking, and I don't think that a, a woman is thinking, yeah. hey, this is going somewhere. Yeah. I'm trying to work this angle. or it, it, It's just like having a conversation with another with yeah. another person. And I think that's the danger yeah. in like adding your wife into everything and, and and things like that. So I think I think if we're saying no, we do have to caveat that with some basic practicalities. Sure. So again, just because of the, ironically, I talked to my wife about this um, because I was just thinking about our own marriage and, and kind of different things. And we kind of said, there's no hard and fast rule, but there are some things that we want to, we want to kind of point out is this, this is, we're talking about self-control. And the reality is the reason that we need self-control is because we actually don't have have control over ourselves. So we need some checks and balances here. So there's a young guy actually on campus here at Midwestern who disciples uh, kind of young undergraduate students. And one of the things he says is, would you be able to hand over your phone right now and not be ashamed of the messages that you have sent? And that challenge is real. Yeah. So that he is willing to take their phone and look. Um, yeah. And I think that's the perspective is you need some people in your life, and that could potentially be your spouse, who can say, give me your phone. I just want to have a quick look. Right. And I don't think that is a control thing. I don't think that is a domineering thing. I think that is a blessing 
Yeah. To have someone that's willing to do that, to say, I want to, I want to check and balance you right now, you know, to protect you from this. Uh, but that, there are some basic practicalities. Uh, I don't communicate with people after 10 p.m. Okay. And I don't communicate with people before 7 a.m. unless it's an emergency. That's that's bedtime. Yeah, do you yeah, know? Yeah. And I think we've talked about this on a previous podcast. In the dark of night is where the temptations really kick in. Right. So don't talk to people. Don't communicate. If, if they, unless something urgent, which in, as a pastor, it can be that, watch the communication at nighttime because really there, there's no necessity for that. And also the frequency of um, communication. Years ago, I would have been hard and fast. No communication with another woman. It's not, not, not my wife. But the, recently I've realized sometimes I just need to email a quick question. Right, um, exactly. You know, hey, can you clarify this? But it's one message a week or two weeks or a month. It's not like 20 messages a day. So watch the fre- the frequency. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you there. I think the reason why I stumbled on this question, and as I think about it, as I kind of you know pan out a little bit, I don't have long text conversations with anybody. <laughs> I'm, I'm aware. <laughs> male or female. I don't have long online conversations yeah. with anybody, male or female. I think if you looked at any of my exchanges <laughs> with, with anyone, like if you look at my Twitter DMs, which I'd be glad to show you, I mean, there may be you know, some confidential type things in there. Um, but, I, you know, I would show my wife, yeah. you, know, all, you know, all my DMs or, you know, Facebook, Twitter, any of that. The one thing that would stand out is male or female the conversations are not very long. <laughs> it's maybe a question and me giving a very short answer to it or me asking a question, hey, well, you know, and, and getting a short answer to it. And I just don't, ha- I, I just don't do that with anybody. Yeah. So maybe I stumble on the question a little bit because it's just not a thing for me anyway. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm trying to think of the guy who does spend a lot of, like texting is just a thing for him. And I could see it's probably great to have some boundaries yeah. um, with, you know, how you correspond with women. And I mean, the bottom line for me is like, does the woman feel safe? Yeah. Does she, is, is she going to be weirded out by what yeah. you're doing? Yeah. And that doesn't mean, so as you said, and I think we've said before previously, the whole point of this, as I understand it, um, is not because every woman is a is a temptress or seductress yeah. just waiting to sleep with any pastor. Yeah. I mean, that's just ridiculous. I'm, I'm, I know that happens. But it's such a statistical anomaly. It's just not a thing. You need to stop thinking about the idea of women as they're just waiting to be alone with you or, you know. And if you have that issue, you have bigger issues that probably are disqualifying. Like if you can't be alone with a woman because you just don't know how you can control yourself or you can't think, you know, help but think about them lustfully. And I mean, I mean, those are issues of, of, you know, immaturity and um, of of unrefinement and, you know, the spirit uh, being quenched in your life and. I mean, those are some you know, significant things that should make you rethink ministry, yeah. not just this aspect of ministry, yeah. you know? And so if, you know, setting those things aside, the question should be, you know, if I, if I know I'm prone to long conversations with anybody, male or female, and so I'm setting that aside, I'm not, you know, trying to treat a woman like she's a seductress and I'm not trying to treat myself like I'm some kind of horn dog, but I have long conversations I want to ask myself, is this going to make this person uncomfortable? Male yeah. or female, I suppose. But yep. yes, in this regard, how will this woman feel that the pastor is trying to engage her in long conversations? Yeah. Is she going to be uncomfortable by that? Will she be weirded out by that? I think that's a really good point, that the pastor engages it. And I yeah. think if you're the one engaging a conversation, yeah. watch the frequency, what, what's good. being included. You know, Why are you communicating this? Why are you leaning on this person that's not your spouse that you're communicating with? Right. If it's just, you know, friendly, you know, hey, you know, 
saw you the other day, glad that you got that yeah. sorted out. You know, that that's just simple pastoral communication in right. that sense. The only other thing I would say is if at, in any way that you have doubt over this, in any form of way, talk to your spouse as to what the checks and balances. Yeah, if be. your conscience is troubled, right? We're yeah. not trying to say, just ignore that. That's yeah. that's stupid. That's silly. Do something about be it. Be transparent. Yeah. Be, uh, um, you know, honest. Um, I think provide access, yep. uh, you know, live your life in an upright way. So I guess our our mutual answer is kind of uh, to the question, should the Billy Graham rule apply to DMs is no, no. but maybe. Yeah. No, but kind it's, of. It's no, but <laughs> there are other practicalities you need to think of. That's good. Okay. Uh, this question comes via Twitter. What should I look for in a mentor in the church? What should I look for in a mentor in the church? I, I just have two things, two short things I would say about this. Number one. Um, look for somebody who is available. Mm. And <laughs> I mean, that sounds like a no brainer, but sometimes yeah. what we're doing is like, we're shooting for the stars. I, I want the pastor or I want, you know, I, I want to be mentored by the, 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 you know, person I perceive as, you know, the, uh, some star in this area or something, which totally, which just makes sense. Like yeah. if you're going to be mentored in a particular area, you want someone that you perceive as being the furthest along that area. But very often those folks don't have the kind of time. It's it's actually better to have more time with somebody yeah. um, who has available time for you than kind of catch as catch can. And that kind of relates to my second kind of answer, which is you don't have to have somebody who is a superstar or a lead, you know quote unquote leader, just somebody who's further along, mm. somebody you can get coffee with, a, you know, an older saint, or maybe not, or someone who's just known Jesus for longer. They don't have to necessarily be chronologically older than you. But just someone who's faithfully served their church well, yeah. I think if you lower your standards in some sense of your expectations, you actually could have a more fruitful mentoring relationship just by going out with an older member of the church, mm-hmm. just a faithful layperson and saying, hey, tell me about your marriage. Tell me mm-hmm. about what it was like raising kids. And you know, can I come over to your house and help you out with something? Can I help you you know, clean out your garage or fix your car or you know, make cookies or something like that. You know, there's all these young ladies who are constantly coming to my house. My wife is ostensibly showing them how to, you know, bake things and cook things. And But the hours they spend in the kitchen, they're talking about all kinds of things. Yeah. And that's not, you know, a formal, let's sit across the table and go yeah. through a Bible study mentoring relationship. But she's mentoring. Yeah, absolutely. She's discipling absolutely. In, in that way. I, I've, I've actually said that it should be someone older than you. Okay. Um, the reason I say that is because I think that's often overlooked in a church. Um, yeah, yeah. Every age is so important in the church. And if we just go, um, it's uh, maturity in Christ rather than age, then I, I worry that our top end age is, is just not going to be uh, being used as mentors. But someone older than you, someone you respect, <laughs> no point in having a mentor that you're not going to listen to. Yeah, you you know, um, Someone you won't just say yes to everything that you say, will actually point out faults and will encourage you in them. Someone that you think you might actually be able to mutually help as well to bring them encouragement. And if I can just say this, that if you are a pastor serving a church, get a mentor outside of your church you're not going to be able to talk openly with the person inside your church. You, you need someone outside of your church to do that. Gotcha. Next question. This comes via email. <laughs> what is an author in residence? What is it, Jared? What, I was going to ask you. you. I want do. you to answer first. What do you, what, what, Ross, what do you think an author in residence is? I think it's someone that lives in a house <laughs> that writes in said house. Yeah, I mean, that's what it sounds like to me, too. So yeah. essentially the seminary created uh, an apartment for me. It's very cramped. <laughs> So there's a hot plate in there. There's a there's an army cot. 
uh, in a table of the typewriter, and they just say, Man, you better write if you want to keep this room. And there's days I wonder, like, do I want to keep this room? There's a lot of typing. No. Um, what is author in residence? It's basically it's the you. seminary. It's just, so, you. I mean, you know, it's just me. We actually have numerous authors who are employed. No, it's the, it's the seminary basically serving as, as, as a – in the olden days, they had what we call patrons, mm. right, patrons of the arts. And it would usually be a wealthy person or sometimes organizations, sometimes churches, and they would have a stable of artists that they would support because they would see as art contributing to culture. This is a valuable aspect even of, of kingdom life and kingdom ministry because sometimes it's, you know, in those days for artists and I guess in these days as well, we want to invest in that, show value that we, that we value that. And support artists. There's, I know some churches actually that um, that do this. They'll hire, you know, folks who will do communications and things for them for you know for the church. But then also, hey, we want you to keep blogging. We want you to keep making videos. We want you to because we just see it as a valuable contribution to culture. And that's kind of what has happened here. Is basically part of my my employment with the seminary. Sort of like you know how the percentage breaks down. But a significant portion is you're on faculty. The other portion is we want you to keep writing. We want you to keep blogging. We want you to keep traveling and speaking. We want you to keep speaking for us. So it's, it's, it's almost like retainer in some sense of serving the seminary in some of these platform ways. And we're going to draw a circle around that and say that's part of your job, actually. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to worry about is this seminary time or is this writing time? Is this I can, I can freely engage in the stuff that I was already kind of yeah. doing. Uh, and the seminary says we want to support that. We want to make sure you don't have to, you know, worry too much about, well, is this going to help me make ends meet and all that sort of thing. So it's, it's good. It's helpful. So it doesn't come with a house. It doesn't come with a house. Right. It doesn't come with any kind of lodging at all. I've, I've, I've got to find that myself. Uh, it came with a laptop. That's, that's nice. A good laptop? Uh, yeah, actually. Because I would say often it doesn't. When it's like, well, we'll, we'll provide you a laptop and it's like oh, five years old. And- <laughs> no, no. It's actually a functioning, good, uh, up-to-date Laptop. Last question via Facebook. I thought this would be a good one to end with. Mm. This is kind of a, it sounds like out of left field. Most of the questions we get in mailbag are these either sticky theological things, which I just send over to Matthew Barrett and Credo and say, <laughs> you handle theology, or these kind of practical ecclesiological things. This is a really good kind of devotional, yeah. you know, spiritually hearted question here. What words of Jesus stick with you? What words of Jesus stick with you? You can go first. You want me to go first? I actually have several, so maybe we can oh, take okay. turns. Um, I jotted down three that just constantly keep coming back to my mind. The first is John fifteen fifteen. I no longer call you servants, mm. but I have called you friends. And it's actually that that verse in particular, John, is is kind of the basis of my current writing project. is is built around friendship with Jesus. is the book I'm working on right now. And I really wrestle with this the 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 distinction Jesus is making because we are servants of God. Mm. You know, I mean, Paul calls himself a slave. Of Christ, a bondservant of Christ. So we are servants, but Jesus said, I don't call you servants, I call you friends. A servant doesn't know what the master is doing, uh, is the explanation that he gives. And so I've, I'm really trying to tease that out and think through, and I created these two categories, servant spirituality and friendship, or friend spirituality. And I'm making a distinction between our status with God is that we are servants, because he is God and we are not. And we live our lives in service to him out of gratitude. Mm. But our relationship with him, the way he relates to us, is not as a master to a servant, uh, where you just kind of give orders 
the servant doesn't have a right to the house. A servant isn't going to get the inheritance. Mm. But he relates to us as friends, actually as sons and daughters. We've been adopted into the family. Mm. We have full access. We can approach the throne of grace in our time of need. So the relationship, the way he relates to us, is not as a master you know, barking orders to a servant, but as a father mm. and Christ as our friend. So that just like, man, do I, do I own that? Um, it's, it, it, it doesn't mean that I shirk the responsibility of obeying the Lord and all you know, those sorts of things. But do I pursue friendship with Jesus? Do I develop being friends with him? That, that just kind of sticks in Look, my brain. Looking forward to the book. Yeah. Wow, uh, I hope it's good. Mine's also from John 15. Okay. Uh, quite different, though. Okay. Uh, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. Mm. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. So that stuck with me mainly because it's a reminder that that we should expect hardship, mm. that we should expect persecution, that we are not in our home, that we are waiting for another place. And it is not personal. People don't hate on us or persecute us or ridicule us or call us names or make our life difficult because they just hate how I look yeah. <laughs> um, or how I sound. It's because I love Jesus. And this should be a willing sacrifice for us that, that comfort in this world is just not guaranteed. And it's an odd passage to stick with me, but the reason it sticks with me is I don't want to get too comfortable in mm. this world. I don't want to expect that this world owes me anything because actually Jesus says the world owes you one thing and that's hatred because yeah. you love me. Um, so it's, it's a sobering reminder for me that, uh, I should wake up expecting some form of hardship. Um, I don't, I don't say that in a kind of stoic way. I say it in a, almost in a blessing I that see. because I love Jesus, because I get the keys to the kingdom yeah. from a momentary while, I need to expect suffering. I think of George Whitfield. I think in his diary, like there was a day. I mean, they tried to assassinate him. There, you know, all kinds of crazy things happened to him. But there was a day they threw dead cats at him, <laughs> and he wrote in his diary something about like I received it lovingly or something <laughs> like that. And I thought, what in the world? Dead cats. Um, I, I also jotted down John sixteen twelve, mm. and it's just the turn of phrase. I don't know, there's something that strikes my heart about this. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. Yeah. Like Jesus knows us in and out. He knows, he, he knows us perfectly. He knows us so well. He knows what we can handle and can't handle. And I just love the idea of Jesus saying, there's so much I'm, I want to tell you. Yeah. And there's so much I'm going to reveal to you and so much I'm going to show you. Just wait. Yeah. You, you can't handle it now. Uh, you, you can't carry this weight now or what, you know, whatever the category of thing is. And it just makes me think of how Jesus doesn't, gosh, he, he, he meets out such sympathy to me. He knows my capacity as a creature, knows my failings as a sinner. And it also makes me think of just like, gosh, the wonders of eternity, the new heavens and the new earth, that there's going to be so many wonders to see that I can't even comprehend them in my brain. So it, 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 I almost read it that way as well. Like, there's so much I want to tell you. R right now, you don't have the capacity for this. Yeah. Someday in the resurrected body, in the resurrected earth, there's going to be so much, like you'll be able to bear it yeah. at that time. And there's just something about it that just really intrigues me and, and thrills me.
I wonder if we're ever going to have that moment where everything is like, just just sit down. This will take as long as it takes. <laughs> and right. just everything's revealed. Mm. Um, for me, the second would be at right at the end of Matthew's gospel. It's something we quote all the time at the end of the Great Commission. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the ages. Is that what you've got as well? Matthew 28, 20. <laughs> there you go. I actually, that's my last one. And, and for me, within a ministry concept, um, man, there is so many days that you just think you're alone and yeah. and you are just making a mess of things. And it's that reminder of God has not left. Christ is very much with us. And, and you know, I don't know what ministry life looks for me in the future, but Jesus does. And I know he's going to be there. Um, and what a comfort that brings um, to know that for the last 10 years he's been there and for the next 10 and the next 10 of the Lord wills, he will be there. Um, and to the very end of the age, yeah. which is, is not, it's not to the end of my life. It's like to the end of eternity. Yeah. When is that? You know, you know, there is no end, but Christ is going to be there the entire time. Mm-hmm. I draw a huge amount of comfort from that. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Yeah. It's wonderful. Anyone that the Father gives me, I will not cast them out. Wonderful news. Uh, good questions today. Yeah. There's some really good questions. And good reviews. If you enjoy the podcast, dear listener, give us a good review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. You might hear it on this podcast. We'll only make fun of it lightly. <laughs> we appreciate all the reviews. If it's five star, if it's if less it's than five that, star, we'll, we're going to rib it. Yeah, completely. if it's less than five star, we'll appreciate it less. <laughs> but we'll still appreciate it. We'll, we'll still like it. Until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.